What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again i appreciate you asking me back so you said you were going to pinch yourself i didn't know it was that kind of show now i mean if you guys are in the privacy of your own home if you want to do these things good how you doing chad hey johnny cool man what's going on we're ready to go or what uh, uh, hey man what's up guys this is homicide oh that's my homie homicide with a big homie club yeah that would be it hey this is david penzer and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. The Weekend Warrior. These men don't play for money. They don't play for glory. They play for the love of the game. No, we don't. We do it for them. We say to you, the NFL suits, and to everyone around who wants to tell us, the people, what we should have and what we shouldn't have, we respectfully tell you to take your bags, turn them sideways, and stick them straight up your candy asses! If you smell what the XFL is cooking. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by our good friends over at Pass Pros. Head on over to PassPros.coms for autographs and signed memorabilia direct from over 100 former athletes including the great Dave Parker, J.R. Richard, Al Oliver, and so many more. Every former pro athlete is either selling their own personal items from their private collection, or you can send your items directly to them. And Pass Pros guarantees and organizes private signings with these players to bring you the most exclusive items in the hobby, and there's nothing better than getting an item directly signed Buy a Pass Pro when you can find out all about Pass Pros and the two-man power trip of wrestling by heading over to PassPros.com, hitting the wrestling tab, and getting exclusive access to special pricing for all two-man power trip of wrestling autograph events, and that is only over at PassPros.com. But hey, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. 
And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only John Paz and John. Today on the show, we are absolutely excited to bring to you the director of ESPN's 30 for 30 documentary, This Was the XFL, as Charlie Ebersol joins the program. And if you know the last name Ebersol, if you know anything about Saturday night's main event, Charlie Ebersol's father was Dick Ebersol, is Dick Ebersol, and he helped create Saturday night's main event along with Vince McMahon and brought professional wrestling back to primetime television in 1985. And now here in 2017, his son Charlie is joining us to talk about quite possibly one of the most controversial avenues for Vince McMahon to ever cross into, and that was the Smash Mouth Football League known as the XFL, the alternative to the NFL, the real football league that Vince McMahon had a vision for, and it was anything and everything that you thought the WWF would have been in 2000 and 2001, but on a football field. And I mean the inclusion of crazy camera angles, unique announcers, definitely some uh, backstage antics that they try to incorporate from television in the wrestling world over into the football world, and it just set the sports writers and the uh, the journalists on their behinds because they were so opposed to the XFL, and it fell right into Vince McMahon's, really into his wheelhouse as he started a battle with the sports writers and the journalists and the network television sports personalities that were opposing his brand of football, and this was the XFL, and with Charlie Ebersol joining us today, he gets the inside look directly from Vince McMahon, directly from his father, Dick Ebersol, as he also chronicles the relationship between the two of them, which, if you know anything about sports and television, that these two guys together in creating Saturday Night's main event set the ratings world on fire. They really set new standards when it came to special programming and an alternative to Saturday Night Live as Saturday Night's main event broke all kinds of records, including specials like the main event, which is where the infamous Andre the Giant Hulk Hogan title change took place on a main event special that just literally broke every kind of record for the time slot that it was in. And it's all the brainchild of Dick Ebersol and Vince McMahon. But now with the XFL documentary, we get the inside look at their relationship told through the eyes of the son of Dick Ebersol, who got to see it all. And John, as I welcome you in here, this was such a fun interview, and this has been such a journey for us so far in 2017, and throwing Charlie Ebersol out there, I think we had a great time doing it. I know he had an absolutely excellent time doing it, but I think when you finish this episode, you're really going to learn a lot, not just about Charlie Ebersol, but about the XFL, and maybe kind of change your opinion on some of the things that happened back then that some people might not have the greatest memories of when you think about the XFL. Yeah, it's Chad, two-man power trip. You're right, kicking off 2017, like we said, in a huge, huge way, and the hits just keep on coming. And with Charlie Ebersol, the son of the legendary Dick Ebersol, joining our show, we just keep taking it to a whole nother level here, and I absolutely love it. Traditional interviews for us, obviously, more so on the wrestling side, 
But with Charlie's ties to pro wrestling, and obviously his father's ties to pro wrestling and to Vince McMahon, it just fits in perfectly with our show. And our chemistry with him, you could just tell right off the bat, was just on point. You could tell, big wrestling fan, real great attachment to the business, real great appreciation for the business. And I absolutely loved every second of this interview. So much fun, so delightful. What a you know great guy he was and is, quite frankly. Um, it just was one of those interviews kind of took me back because you never know when, when a guy is coming on a wrestling podcast but isn't really promoting wrestling or per se or isn't really going to really talk too much about wrestling. But we get into a ton of wrestling. Obviously, the main focus was his documentary, his 30 for 30 special coming out. This was the XFL on ESPN, and it looks awesome. I cannot wait to watch it. It's just um, one of those things you look back on. And it didn't get enough publicity. Obviously, the ratings were there at first, and then obviously we talked about an interview that can go completely down. But it was one of those things that I feel like was almost forgotten. Like, yeah, the XFL was there, and and it came and gone in one season, but there was so much more to it. And the lasting impact that it left, and and the guys that ended up playing in the NFL, and all the production techniques that the NFL ended up stealing from the XFL that people really just don't notice. So the XFL, quite frankly, just never got its due. And people will say, oh, it was a failure. I lost this amount of money. We talked to Charlie about it. It basically lost a fraction of the money that CBS and Fox, and quite frankly, the ESPN, loses in one season in, in you know, within having the NFL on their network. So the XFL lost about $37 million in one year for NBC. The NFL on CBS, the NFL on Fox, the NFL on ESPN lost about $120 million a year. So just think about that. Is it really that big of a loss? Quite frankly, not uh, not when you look at those huge, huge numbers. So the XFL, to me, will always be remembered fondly, and I just love the, the larger-than-life characters that were associated with the XFL. I love that in this interview you go with a big-time interview with Dick Ebersole, who obviously is his father, and an even bigger interview with Vince McMahon. So really, really looking forward to 30 for 30. This was the XFL, and Charlie was just an awesome interview subject who we had unbelievable chemistry with. Yeah, and one thing you're going to take away from this is that I don't really agree with all the negativity that surrounds the XFL. John, I know you're kind of in that vein as well, but Charlie definitely is in that vein as well, that yes, there are some things that were completely hokey about it, and then just by the time the ratings started to kind of slip a little bit, they just threw in the towel and just threw all the cliché uh, attitude era garbage at it that you know they tried to do with the cheerleaders and they tried to do with more of the gratuitous uh, sexual nature of some of the, uh, the the content that they were throwing out there and that's where I think people just really kind of started shaking their head and with that cataclysmic fall in the ratings it's uh, that's very telling but still the overall concept of the XFL and the things that they set out at the beginning very positive and, and I really think that if you go back and you look at some of the news footage of it and when the concept came together and they were really trying to promote it in a positive light, I, I think it came off great. And I do like the inclusion of some of the announcers like Jesse Ventura and they had Matt Vaskurgeon, who's now a part of the MLB network in the early part of his career. And then, you know, look, Jim Ross, he was a football announcer. So throwing him on there, that was great. So one of my favorite parts of the interview was getting to talk about the announcers inclusion into the games and how the WWF branded television at the time was influenced um, 
on the shows and on the games. And I like it. And I know Charlie really, he, he expressed it. He liked it. But John, what are some of your favorite parts of this interview? Looking back? I mean, there's so many great things to highlight, but obviously, you know, the XFL, it's going to keep everybody talking. There's going to be detractors. There's going to be people who really, uh, they love it, but Hey, you know, everybody to each their own. But John, what are some of your favorite parts of this interview with Charlie Ebersole? Yeah, my favorite parts of this interview, Chad, if you really think about it, a couple stories. I mean, the whole interview is just amazing, 30-plus minutes with Charlie. We were only really designated for a certain amount of time, and obviously we went over that time. We just had a blast, and we were just kind of rolling with the punches. But when we go into the Bob Costas stuff, when we talk about White Castle, yes, that White Castle, when we talk about Hulk Hogan, and we talk about his history with Hogan, obviously with his father, and hanging out backstage, that is some awesome stuff, and I love getting into it with the fact, uh, the Jonathan Coachman stuff, the story with Coach, kind of the way he teases the coach, his story about The Rock, his him talking about, um, you know, this it doesn't matter, you know, using that famous rock line. So there's some really, really high points in this interview that really stuck out to me. And I was, I was laughing at actually, you know, mute the microphone for a second because I was laughing almost too hard. I didn't want to kind of overshadow uh, Charlie at all, but it was just so funny and such good stuff there. I love the rock stuff. I love the Hogan stuff. I mean, you, you can't go wrong with the two biggest icons in the history of the business and him kind of tying in those guys with this interview. So that was cool. And like I said before, really, really looking forward to this XFL documentary. Kind of one of those things where it's long overdue and it's going to be awesome. And I honestly, this is one thing that that I, I know I'm not putting too much pressure on Charlie or not putting, putting too much pressure on it out there, but he mentioned it, so I'm going to mention it. Saturday Night's Main Event documentary, that's one that he wants to do. I would love that. I mean, that's the show that really kicked it off, put it into the mainstream, had some of the biggest wrestling ratings of all time, obviously set off with the man, the myth, the legend, the Hulkster, and Hulkamania, and then, of course, with Vince and with his father, Dick Embersole, the head of NBC Sports at that point, producing it. It was just one of those magical moments in wrestling history that I don't think will be duplicated. You're not going to get those ratings again. You're not going to get that legendary show again. You're not going to get those larger-than-life characters again. So the only way for me to really bring it back, and Charlie mentions this, so I'm going to you know, bring it out there for him, hopefully to hit a home run with, a Saturday night's main event 30 for 30 or some sort of documentary about it would be unbelievable and would be awesome. And obviously get WB's help, get Vince on that project. That would just be an amazing, unreal documentary to put out there. So not to put too much pressure on Charlie, but let's get a Saturday night's main event documentary after we, you know, experience this amazing XFL doc. Yes, it is time to experience the XFL in all its glory and it's really time to celebrate the legacy of the XFL as Charlie Ebersole did an amazing job. And we thank him so much for coming on. And stay tuned after Charlie Ebersole for a little TMPT extra featuring WWE Hall of Famer Tony Atlas that John conducted back a few weeks ago at the Subway Keensburg location at the Tony Atlas autograph signing that we were a major part of. And John did a great job covering a few topics that I'm quite frankly surprised that we didn't get a chance to get to in our interview with Tony Atlas. So check that out at the end of this episode. Get on your on-demand, head over to the ESPN section, access 30 for 30, and check out This Was the XFL and support Charlie Ebersol's efforts. And oh my goodness, if we could get a 30 for 30 on Saturday night's main event 
my God, would that be the greatest thing that ESPN has ever done? Because right now, the greatest thing ESPN has ever done is the XFL documentary. And we really, again, want to thank Charlie Ebersol for taking the time to come on with us. And like John said, go into a little bit of overtime, but it was well worth it. And we had such a ball and what a, uh, what a great little bit of chemistry that we had going on there. But John, as the music starts to creep in, hit him with a little bit of two man power trip of wrestling business, and then get it on over to Charlie Ebersol, followed by a little TMPT extra featuring Tony Atlas. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please visit our website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. Subscribe to us on YouTube. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. While you're on iTunes, check out the feed for some legendary episodes featuring. The living legend himself, Bruno San Martino. The late great American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Ray Mysterio Jr., Jeffrey McDivitt, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, Mr. Wonderful Paul Ondorf, AJ Styles, and so many others. Also, while you're surfing the web, check out WrestlingInc.com. Yes, that is WrestlingInc.com. They are the number one wrestling news source out there, so please check them out. Also, while on the internet, go to ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, ProWrestlingTees.com is your superstore if you are a super fan. And you can please check out our page while you're there. You can check out Tito Santana, Paul Orndorff, Coco Beware, Magnum TA, Buff Bagwell, and so, so many others. Follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017 as we hit the road and we come to a town near you. April 22nd, we hit Philadelphia, Pennsylvania at the Icon Collectors Fest. Then, May 19th and May 20th, we hit the Mid-Atlantic Wrestling Expo in Richmond, Virginia. Then, follow us to New Jersey as we hit Legends of the Ring in Monroe. So please follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017, because you never know where we may land. And now, without any further ado, the director and producer of ESPN's 30 for 30, this is the XFL. He is the son of the legendary Dick Ebersol. He is Charlie Ebersol. Please enjoy. Somebody who I'm so excited to be speaking with. He is the director of the XFL documentary, the 30 for 30 special. This was the XFL. And I can't be any more excited to welcome in Charlie Ebersol. Thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Oh, man, I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks. Uh, there, there's, absolutely, there's so much 
that I want to cover, both about the XFL and both about your, I like to say, your wrestling lineage, because obviously your father, Dick Ebersol, is the man behind Saturday Night's Main Event with Vince McMahon, and your mom, a part of WrestleMania too, which I hope a lot of people don't overlook that, but wrestling is in your blood. But this is the XFL, and I, the first thing's first. What led to the XFL documentary, and what was the XFL supposed to be? First of all, thank you for saying all that. And my mom will be thrilled to hear that you did not overlook her because I have to tell you, every time I've been interviewed and they ask about Saturday night's main event, I have to rewind and say, yeah, but let's not forget that my mother was there at the beginning. Um, Yeah. (laughs) No, this documentary, ESPN and I had been talking for years about how to do a documentary uh, about uh, my dad or, you know, something around sports, given, you know, what I'd grown up around with my father running NBC Sports for so long. And when they came to me and said, what about the XFL? I jumped at it because for two reasons. One, I desperately wanted to make a film about my father and Vince McMahon's relationship because I knew no one else could or would. Um, and two, the XFL is really the only time I really ever saw my dad and Vince, for that matter, really fail. And I thought that they were so incredible in the face of sort of all the adversity that got built up around the XFL and then also in how their relationship survived what was a very public um, failure uh, was great fodder for a film. And I really, really, really wanted to show a different side of Vince. I was, I'm exhausted fighting people who have sort of the wrong impression about him. And I thought a film would be a great opportunity to at least bring it to life. And and I think a lot of people, if they weren't around or they weren't fans or they weren't aware of what was going on in 2000 and 2001 with the XFL, it was definitely very groundbreaking. And it really was something that I think a lot of people had high hopes for. And obviously the advertisers were there. The broadcast partners were there. It was just the concept that needed to be kind of put on paper. It was great in the minds of those who created it, but it was the execution of the concept that I think needed to be kind of uh, maybe worked out a little bit more, but you're saying your father and Vince McMahon, obviously, like we said, Saturday night's main event, obviously changed professional wrestling in the 1980s, but now moving into football, which is more of your dad's world, over Vince McMahon's world, i got to be honest with you, and this is something I would love to hear your take. Was Vince McMahon a football fan? Because I can't even see the guy stopping for five minutes to watch a halftime show, let alone a full game. I know. I've always wondered when it is that he had time to watch football. Vince is a huge football fan. I mean, before he created the XFL, he tried to buy the, U, uh, the CFL, the Canadian Football League. He, he, was a, he has always been – I remember him being a big football fan when I was really young. Because um, when my when my dad and Vince formed the uh, Saturday Night's main event, I was four, and I grew up around there. I, you'll appreciate this maybe more than anyone else who's interviewed me. Um, when I grew up, Hulk Hogan was my childhood babysitter because I'm, I, once a month because I would go to the Saturday Night main event. <laughs> he'd be the last one to go out and wrestle, so I'd be in his dressing room for most of the night. Um, it was, uh, you know, to your point about how Saturday Night main event. Um, changed professional wrestling. The XFL did the same. I mean, there's actually a really clean parallel, which I try to draw in the film as well, between the two projects. Because with with Saturday Night's Main Event, when my dad came in, Vince really said to him, what can we do to the television broadcast that's going to really change us? And my dad brought, you know, all the camera angles and all the stuff that's sort of now part and parcel in Raw 
and certainly what WCW stole when it came along are, was largely my father's production techniques, which then when Vince formed the XFL and my dad and him did the deal uh, for NBC to, to broadcast it, my father did the same thing all over again with his team, which is, you know, they said, look, this is an opportunity to create a league for the television fan, which Vince felt was really important to the XFL. And so he gave NBC incredible leeway. And in, in, in doing so, they created the Skycam, um, which now is in every football game and a lot of basketball games, the, the um, Steadicams on the field, miking the players, interviewing coaches during game access. All of those things were invented for the XFL. And so I, I say a lot in talking to people about the XFL, Vince is the greatest promoter and one of the greatest marketers of his generation, or really any generation. My dad is arguably one of, if not the most influential and successful sports producers of all time. So they understood broadcast through my dad and they understood live event and promotion through Vince and NBC had the most powerful marketing arm in all of television at the time. So they had all that locked up. What they didn't have is they didn't have a football expert. The people they brought in who ran operations for the XFL were guys who had worked at the NFL who wanted to work at the NFL again. And so they were not going to buy into Vince's bigger image, uh, excuse me, bigger vision of what the league could be. And so you know, the idea of no fair catch was about the only thing that made it through. And even that had all kinds of restrictions on it. And so when the game actually got played and the audience saw what, what they'd been marketed uh, was not, in fact, what was happening on the field, you know, you get that first rating that first night, which was insane. It was the biggest rating in 15 years on a Saturday night, um, which, you know, the biggest rating, frankly, since Saturday night's main event on a Saturday night. And then, you know, the second rating falls off a cliff. It's because that football product, to your point, was conceptualized very well, but not executed well at all. It's crazy because the energy in that pregame and in that introduction in the first game is off the charts. And I actually have the first game on tape somewhere buried because I'm a huge Opie and Anthony fan. And I heard your interview with Opie and we'll get to that later, but (laughs) I'm a huge Opie and Anthony fan. So I recorded the pregame show and had the first show and still do somewhere on a VHS tape. So I remember the energy specifically you had Vince come out, you know, with his smash mouth ball and the XFL leather jacket. And then you have the rock come out and cut a rock promo in front of a football crowd. And in Las Vegas, kind of questionable, what are you going to do? But you felt the energy in the crowd you felt the excitement and then when you had the opening kickoff or chase or whatever they wanted to call it to to kind of grab the ball they almost like they killed a man with the ball uh you know style of uh kickoff um you kind of <laughs> felt as the game went on it started to you know kind of lose a little bit of steam but i look at the television broadcast side of it as being a tv guy i look at the television broadcast side that says look you have wwe slash f level production nbc level production and then the affiliates and partners that were a part of it key factors in the xfl's image is that how it was portrayed to the television audience and do you think that that's something that kind of lost and got lost in translation was the television audience versus who you're playing for in front of you know 15 20 000 people yeah there's no question because they sold a million tickets to the first season of the xfl five of the eight stadiums were sold out for the whole season so this was not like uh this was not like the league was, you know, wildly, uh, w- excuse me, was a failure to 
the people going to the games. I mean, the Memphis Maniacs fans were the Memphis Maniacs fans from day one. The challenge was the television audience. And here's the thing. Look, the football operations weren't great. They did not, they did not give the teams – the teams only had 28 days to practice. So right out of the gate, they sort of screwed the teams um, in their ability to uh, – they screwed the teams in their ability to get them – up to speed to play on professional tele, uh, on, on uh, broadcast television. But the second thing is they made a critical error, which is they only had two preseason games and they used those preseason games to determine what their first game would be. And so the first game that got played was originally meant to be the game between the Orlando rage and the Chicago uh, enforcers. And at the last minute, about two weeks before kickoff of the season, they decided to uh, switch to the Vegas game because in a scrimmage, the New York team had looked really good. Well, as it turned out, the New York team was absolute crap and they got (laughs) demolished on national television and only had like 34 yards of total offense in the first half. So it was, you know, not only was the game, the play not great, but they decided to go with a crappy game as opposed to the Orlando game, which it turned out was like 33 to 29 and was a remarkably good game. It's crazy, and that's, you know, of course, one of the things that will fall into the the failure column. But I kind of don't like sometimes the parity that's used in the XFL because it was such a a creative vision. And I know Vince McMahon would go on to kind of make light of it uh, with Craig Kilborn, you know, a few years afterwards, which is hilarious Uh if anybody Uh can go find it. But if you look at the personnel from the television perspective, and you have the reuniting not only of your father and Vince, but you also have Jesse the Body coming back on board. You had Brian Bosworth. Bob Golick, Jerry Lawler was involved, good old JR, and Craig DeGeorge, an old WWF announcer involved. How much of that played into what the brand of the XFL or what the, uh, the kind of stylized look of the XFL was all about, those guys specifically with their Entirely. personalities? Entirely, because if you go back and look at Saturday night's main event and then you look at the XFL, so much of it is there. The only difference is, and this was something that I don't think my father really was fully in aware of when he stepped back in the ring with Vince is this is smack dab in the middle of attitude era. Right. So, so all of that stuff that my father was used to the, like, you know, pray and eat your vitamins that obviously had given way to, you know, degeneration X and the rock and, and triple H, et cetera. And so I think there was an edge to the XFL that, that the WWE, excuse me, WWF, of the eighties didn't really have, you know, the iron Sheik was not telling people to suck it. Um, and so I think that that, I think that that added an element that was sort of unexpected. Um, so that when they went quote more WWE mid season to try to get viewers, that really was a much more, um, it was a much more adolescent, you know, version than the sort of red, white, and blue version of the the WWE in the 80s. The the one thing that you said, which I I, uh, totally agree with, is it annoys the hell out of me that people take such a hard edge and such a a sort of laughable edge about the XFL. I think parody in some ways is the right word, although I think that might be giving the critics a little bit more uh, due credit than they deserve. The XFL was a moonshot that was off by a couple of degrees. Like it wasn't, people think of the XFL as this massive failure because it only lasted one year. But 
the, the truth of the matter is, is that it got a lot closer than anyone really wants to admit, particularly the NFL and the people who are proponents of the USFL. I mean, you're, the opening night audience was 54 million people. I mean, they did a 10 rating. That is a ludicrously, on its best day, the USFL didn't do that. In fact, the NBA finals don't do ratings like that, let alone, you know, a, a startup football league. They beat the, that year. The rating of the XFL beat the World Series rating for that first night. So this was not something that just came out and like nobody, nobody would be talking about this thing if it hadn't gotten so close. And that's sort of the genius of Vince McMahon is how close he comes when he goes big or he wins. I mean, he, there's no in between. There's never Vince doesn't do anything where it like lands in the middle. Hmm. Definitely true and well said. And it's amazing that people kind of saying that there was this huge drop-off with the XFL, a big failure. But in, in reality, it was way more successful than the USFL. And oh, in reality, yeah. yeah, in reality, the ratings were, you know, at first, obviously they're the World Series, they're the NBA Finals, like you mentioned. But with the XFL, why do you think, you know, it, it, it's almost like the bad luck of the XFL? Is that why people kind of view it? Yeah, I think, look, there's two big reasons. One is... Um, they were predisposed to not liking um, they were predisposed to not liking the uh, the idea of Vince McMahon getting into football. Um, so right out of the gate, you're looking at a you're, you're looking at people. I mean, the minute he announced the league, people were making fun of him because, you know, the sports world does not love WWE. I love when I'm around. In fact, I'm at I'm in Houston right now for the Super Bowl and uh for uh, we, we produce a bunch of events and people keep walking up to me and go, God, I'm so excited to see the film and blah, blah, By the way, you know, I like WWE, even though it's fake. And I'm like, okay, but, you know, Vince said it was fake like 26 years ago. So what are you, like, you know what I mean? Like, they don't want to accept the fact that what he does is entertainment, that it's a modern soap opera and all this other stuff. So I think out of the gate they did it. The second thing is I think the real reason people think of it as a failure is because it didn't last. So the, this, this crash in ratings over the course of the eight weeks, which was, you know, look, it's the most historic crash of ratings ever. They went from the highest rating on a Saturday night in almost two decades <clears throat> to the lowest rating in the history of prime time. Um, and I think that if you look at the, the role that the media and other and, and outlets like ESPN, frankly, played in sort of fanning the flames of failure in terms of how they talked about it and what they said about people that clearly contributed to the league not working. And I think that that was, um, you know, unfortunate because I do think that if you look at the state of sports in America right now, professional sports, the XFL would have helped enormously a to make the league way more fan friendly um, in a way that, that I think that right now the leagues really aren't they're very corporately minded because they're chasing advertising dollars. And then that's because they're owned by, you know, 32 billionaires as opposed to one company. And the second thing is, you know, networks are losing a ludicrous amount of money owning the rights. ESPN, Fox, CBS, NBC, they're going to lose close to a, uh, a billion dollars each over the course of their NF, their current NFL deals. And the XFL would have ended that. So, you know, I do think there's a tragedy in it not working. 
it's funny. I think I saw CBS lost 120 million, uh, Fox lost 120 million within a year, but XFL only lost 37 million in a year. So correct. in comparison, right? Is that correct? Those numbers are not really that big of a failure. Right. No. Well, not only that though. It's 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 even less than that. They lost 37 million the year that they produced the XFL. But as part of the deal, this is not talked about very much. But part of the deal between NBC and WWE when they formed the XFL is that, that NBC bought into the uh, WWE. So remember, if you remember in 2001, the uh, WWE went public and NBC got a piece, they bought a piece of that public offering. So it's entirely conceivable, um, though I haven't looked at the numbers specifically, but I've talked to a handful of people at NBC it's entirely conceivable that they actually made tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars on the deal because, because WWE stock has done so incredibly well over the last, you know, 15 years. Mm-hmm. So I actually would argue that, I mean, if you ask anyone involved in the deal NB, at NBC executives, anyone that was in a, in an executive position, not, not talent, not Costas or something like that, but somebody who really, you know, is involved in the deal making, they would tell you 100% that they'd do that deal again every day and twice on Friday because the value of the deal is entirely uh, the business operation. Had it worked, um, that's a work or not work, it's a risk worth taking for sure. Definitely. And I feel like with the XFL and with Vince, I mean, obviously he's a huge personality with himself and you getting to interview him for this is basically one of the main reasons that I think people should absolutely love wanting to watch this because it's the unprecedented access. How did he kind of, you know, maintain that um, almost like, I don't even know how to word it, but it's almost like you get this unprecedented access. How do you get that with Vince? And what's the day like almost spending it with him? Well, it's funny because I've known Vince since I was four, I guess five years old. And so the, you know, and we go years without seeing each other. And then, you know, I'll figure out a way to get over to Stanford or, or, or get it to a raw or something like that. So I can hang out with him a little bit. It was a very different experience interviewing him because, you know, the, the challenge with an interview like that is you have to press him so that he'll go to the places you want him to go. And I've never been in a position where I've been pressing my father or Vince McMahon very much at all. Hmm. Um, so I, I, uh, it was a very nerve wracking. It was a very nerve wracking day because I, I interviewed my father, and then the very next day did Vince, and then that night we did the dinner. So in forty eight hours, <clears throat> uh, I I did both of them and the dinner. So it was an extraordinarily anxiety filled day. Um, and 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 here's the thing about Vince: he's brutally honest, um, and he's not really afraid to talk about anything. So on some level, I felt a certain degree of responsibility to try to maintain a certain level of decorum um, in asking the questions and, and not going um, not going off on tangents because God knows there were about 800,000 things I wanted to ask him about, but I also wanted to make a film about a specific thing. So um, right. it I got through my questions that I was asking him and then had an additional 15 that I was like, well, we have a little extra time. <laughs> 
that is great, and it's almost you know unbelievable. So certainly from our aspect to be able to get to interview Vince, I mean it's such a you know cool kind of uh, experience for sure. And I feel like so many things with Vince and even from your father, almost like you said, stolen in a certain extent as far as TV. But people won't admit it because it's wrestling, or people don't want to give credit. Do you think the XFL should have gotten more credit for the NFL, especially for the Sky Cam and, and even some of their players and certain uh, certainly some of the personality? Hell yes. And it's why it was so important to me that, that Jerry Jones was in the film because Jerry in the film <clears throat> cops to all that. He says they were really, really good ideas for, for, for presenting our game. And we use them today. Like he, Jerry's one of, Jerry is the closest thing. If not, um, he's a long lost brother of, of Vince McMahon. I mean, the two of them are world-class promoters who understand, one, the value of great showmanship, and two, understand the value of shaking hands and making it mean something. And so he's been a lifelong friend of my father, and he is a new friend of Vince's now, once they did WrestleMania last year. Excuse me. So it's a remarkable – his participation in the film was remarkably important to me because I really wanted to drive home his feelings which were these guys invented something really amazing. I was watching them very closely because it scared me to death that they were doing it. And I wanted to see what they were going to do together. And when they didn't work, I wanted all of their ideas to get brought in. I also think, by the way, not only does the, not only was it important to them to take the ideas, but then they worked very, very hard the next time the contract was up to get my father back into the fold with, with the NFL because, you know, they, they lacked that level of innovation. And that's how Sunday night football really came to be was because of the XFL laying that groundwork. Now, as I start to wind it down a bit here, I'm very curious. Obviously interviewing Vince is definitely a huge highlight, but what was your favorite part of making this documentary? Um, well, first of all, Bob Costas and Matt Vaskersian and John Coachman are so funny in this documentary that their interviews were hilarious. Actually, this didn't make it in the film, but again, this is why I'm so excited to your podcast. You'll appreciate this. I did get to play out a couple of fantasies for one. At one point in time, I said to coachman, I was like, what did you think about the sky cam? And as he started answering, well, I think, and I, and I was like, it doesn't matter what you think. By the way, was the highlight of my entire process. I didn't, everything else was irrelevant after I got that done. And then um, he came to the premiere and uh, we did, uh, we've done a series of interviews and I've now, he's interviewed me on camera now like three times and all three times I've done it to him. And after every interview, I'm like, dude, you have to see it coming now. Like, come on, man. Like I'm doing this too. Uh, He's interviewing me after you should watch this by the way. He's interviewing me after the show tonight on Facebook Live, um, and I, I'm hopefully he's not listening to this. I'm going to uh, once again, of course, attempt to do this again because, frankly, um, I get no greater joy uh, than impersonating <laughs> The Rock. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm down. Definitely going to have to tune into that and check that out. That's awesome. But. You know, you mentioned that. that. That's an awesome story. You mentioned The Rock and stuff. But do you have a favorite uh, Saturday night's main event story? I know you told that great Hogan story you were hanging out. But do you have another kind of awesome uh, stories for Which Hogan or for Which, Saturday night's main event? There's two. There are two Hogan stories. Have you heard? You've heard, have you heard the White Castle one? No. Nope. Oh, okay. So this one, I this one's Costas's because I was too young to to know this. But this is one of my favorite stories. So Costas and 
Deerdorf um, did, uh, they covered uh, an event during the run, I don't remember when, but um, finish, and they're in, I'll make this up, they're in Kansas City or Memphis or St. Louis or something like that, and it's like, they they finish, and the show's done, and they're wrapping up, and everything. it's like 2 a.m., and Hogan and Andre are starving, and Costas and Deardorff are in tuxedos and don't want to go home quite yet. So they all pile into Vince's limo without Vince and they start driving around looking for a restaurant. Now Hogan is basically still in his outfit. Um, he has a jacket on, but he's still wearing his tights, his, his <laughs> undershorts. And, and Andre is in half of his outfit as well. And it's 2 a.m. And they pull up to a white castle, which is the only restaurant open at 2 a.m. And they walk in. And sit, there's only one other patron in the whole place who's this guy who's drunk and passed out on a table. And the guy looks up right as Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant and Bob Costas in a tuxedo walk by to order, I don't know, 60 or 70 hamburgers. And the guy looks up and then passes out right back into his French fries as he walks by, to which Bob Costas responded, this would be the only logical reaction to that image. <laughs> <laughs> This is, what? <laughs> I my next documentary, I hope, gets to be uh, Saturday Night's main event because if if the XFL is re- pretty funny, uh, Saturday Night's main event has to be the funniest thing that ever existed. That's uh, I'm just picturing Bob Costas's voice saying it that way. But the way we usually <laughs> like to end it, though, we love to get you know what the legacy is. You know, for a performer, so when we have a wrestler on, we say, you know, what is the legacy that you're going to leave on professional wrestling? Or, you know, in five years, where do you see yourself? But, obviously, we're, you know, 15 years past the XFL. This documentary has reignited that people's, you know, memories of the XFL, what it was like to go through it. And for new fans who are experiencing it, just kind of scratching their head along with the uh, with the rest of us who like to uh, look back at it. But what is the legacy of the XFL at the end of the day? And what do you hope people get out of this documentary? Well, I hope they get the legacy out of the documentary, which is I, the, the legacy of the XFL is changed television sports forever. I mean, what what it did was it introduced the idea of access. You know, years after the XFL, things like Hard Knocks and 24-7 came along, but those were born out of the idea that Vince stood up at a press conference and said, we're going to take the fans inside the game we love, which was not happening at that time. We take that for granted now. You take, you know, the, the NFL insider and NBA behind the scenes and Major League Baseball's dugout cam and interviews, all that stuff. All of that is born out of that that one year in 2001 when the league um, burned very brightly and went away. The other thing I really wanted I, I wanted to drive home, and I think this is really important to Vince as well, is it's the film's meant to be a bit of a celebration of entrepreneurship. That this is what it is to be an entrepreneur. You go out, you fail, you dust yourself off, you get back up, and you go do something else. During the period of the XFL when it was failing. Vince quietly bought, well, it wasn't quiet once it happened, but it was while he negotiated. He bought the WCW and ECW at that time and, and, and for once controlled all of wrestling in the United States, which had never been done before. So even while he's having this disaster on one side, he's still building a massive business and he continues to innovate on the other side. That is what entrepreneurship is. That is what it is to be a creator and an inventor. 
And when people ask what it takes to become the biggest and best at business or, and, and, you know, working or whatever it is, the truth is, is it's a willingness and a comfort with failing so that you can move forward. Uh, my legacy is, I don't know if you know this, but I'm going to become the next rock. Um, so just, uh, you heard it here first, but that is really, I'm, uh, I'm eating my vitamins and, uh, I've built my iron paradise. Well, you're the fall between the two icons. You got the Hogan stories, you got the rock impression going for you. So you're kind of falling in between the two, but <laughs> before we get to the big rap and the big plug for the 30 for 30, which if you've seen any 30 for 30s, you know that it's going to go right in line with those great films. But what was it like to get hung up by Opie? Last week, or I got to actually compare it. Was hanging up, getting hung up on by Opie worse than the failed Rusty Tillman versus Jesse the Body Ventura feud? Go. <laughs> so I have a horrible me that accidentally hung up on him. Oh. <laughs> I no. He, so we did the call. We were supposed to do the call on my office line, but it wasn't connecting. So they called me directly on my cell phone, and my cell phone <laughs> dropped out in my office. So. Uh, I, I feel very bad. He emailed me. Of course, now he emails me. He emailed me afterwards to say, oh, yeah. can we come into the studio? Um, but yeah, now, now, now his email works, um, surprisingly. Um, he, you know what? I, I, uh, I'm a huge fan. I, I guess I said this enough times on that radio interview. So, you know, I'm a huge fan of Opie and I felt, uh, I felt terrible. Um, I, I was so glad to go on his show, but I felt terrible having to tell him that he, Missed his opportunity to be in the film. It's crazy. But it was a great interview. It was very funny. But, uh, yeah, the Rusty Tillman, Jesse the Body. That'll be the next time we uh, we talk to you. But please give us the big plug for the 30 for 30. This was the XFL as well as where anybody who's listening to the Two-Man Power Trip of Wrestling can find anything in the world of Charlie Ebersole. Well, tonight, Thursday, February 2nd, on ESPN at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, this was the XFL will premiere on ESPN and then you can watch it on the ESPN app or on demand anytime. And if you go to ESPN.com to 30 for 30, there are about 15 extra videos, including the Rusty Tillman, uh, Jesse Ventura feud. Uh, we did about a, a four or five minute piece on that, um, which you can watch that has exclusive interviews from both of them. Uh, and then after the show on, um, ESPN's Facebook page. You can watch Facebook Live. I'll be interviewed by uh, John Coachman. We'll be discussing the film with uh, Rod Smart, He Hate Me, and uh, Darren Ravel uh, talking about the business of the XFL. And if you want to follow me, you can follow me, Charlie Ebersol, on Instagram or Twitter. And you should check out my other shows like The Prophet. Absolutely, 100%. Charlie, this has been so much fun. Looking forward to tonight. Cannot wait to check it out. It's uh, 15 years in the making. It's almost like the XFL's uh, WrestleMania tonight. So we, uh, we appreciate you spending a couple minutes with us, and uh, thanks for going back down memory lane. And, and tell your mom she's a part of WrestleMania history, and uh, we'll never forget it. Macho Man versus George Steele. Your mom's prominently uh, the color commentator. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And by the way, I'll be sending her this podcast just so she can hear all those parts the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a huge Kate and Allie fan as well, so that works out great. But thank you so much, Charlie. We appreciate it, and uh, all the best with everything. Have a great day, guys. Thank you. Thank you, you too.
Oh yeah. Yep. We are here at Subway in Keensburg, New Jersey with WB Hall of Famer, Mr. USA, Tony Atlas. And Mr. Atlas, you just noticed an awesome picture of yourself and you see Rocky Johnson in the background. You just talk about that awesome tag team you guys had, former obviously WWF tag team champions. Well, you know, uh, Rocky Johnson, uh, like myself, you know, we both was into uh, fitness. And when people look at old pictures of Rocky Johnson, uh, you know, he had a very, very uh, uh, impressive physique. And uh, when, when they put both of us together, it was the first time that they had, you know, two what so-called bodybuilders uh, uh, together in uh, one ring. And, and, you know, we call ourselves the powerhouse team because, you know, we both had strength. You know, we had the body. And then uh, Rocket Influence uh, took it also filter over to his son, uh, the ring, the Rock Johnson. If you look at uh, the Rock's body, you know, he, he just like his dad. So when I saw that picture, you know, it kind of brought back um, memories when me and Rocket Johnson became the first uh, – african-american world uh wrestling championship and uh you know uh, i talked to rocket about once a month and you know we stay reminisce all the good old days that's awesome man do you look back and see remember little rock you know little Dwayne johnson running around back in, in the locker room and then you look at him now not only probably the top drawer in the history of wrestling you know up there with hogan and austin and guys like that but the top making you know movie star and possibly the biggest star in hollywood as well well, you know, it, it's just like when you see little kids running around your neighborhood, you have absolutely no idea what that child is going to turn out to be. You know, I, um, I, I used to see him in the dress room. He's hung around us wrestlers. Every time his dad went in the ring, he used to cry because he thought the guys were hurting his father. He, you know, he didn't like to watch the matches because when his father, you know, is down. And, uh, and then to see him play, uh, go from there to college and, and, and play football and and go from football to uh, the WWE and become a, a top star there and then from there into the movies. It, it's impressive because I, I st every time I see him, I, I don't see Rock the man. I see that little kid because I first saw him as a kid. It's just like my daughter. Every time I look at her, she never grew up to me. She's always going to be my baby. And when you have a child, you know, they're always your baby, no matter how big or important that they become. But the thing I have to give uh, Dwayne a, a, a lot of uh, credit He's the same Dwayne Johnson, uh, now that he's a big superstar, he's the same person that he were before all the, uh, he, he achieved all the fame and wealth. If you see him today, you know, he's just like a normal person. He, he's a very, very nice young man, very nice young man. Now, looking back, obviously, Rocky Johnson, you guys winning the tag titles. Is that, you know, when you beat the Samoans, is that your top moment in history or maybe being in the Hall of Fame? What do you rank up there as your top? Well, it, you really can't put one uh thing above the other because i had other achievements that uh uh it, wrestling was not my only uh, uh profession you know when i when i became a uh um mr usa uh what mr usa for in 1979 i became the united states uh uh, uh bodybuilding champion and then I, I competed in the world championship in 1988 work lift against Anthony clock and all the top lifters in the world and, and uh, I placed third in the world, so there was only like two people in the whole world that could lift me at that time. And then it's the birth of my the birth of my daughter, you know, which was uh, a, a, a amazing. And 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 then it, it was me accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior was a high moment in my life. So you you can't really just put one thing above the other. They they all great great uh, opportunities and I just feel blessed that I was born in a country and during a time where I, I could achieve so much in such a short lifetime. 
amazing career when you look back at it. Awesome, you know, Hall of Famer, Tag Champion, Mister USA, huge bodybuilder, bodybuilding Hall of Fame. Yeah, yep. yeah, I'm in the WWE Wrestling Hall of Fame, and I'm in the WBBG Bodybuilding Hall of Fame. What WBBG stands for is World Bodybuilding uh, Guild. So it started with uh, uh, Dan Lloyd and uh, Joe Weider, and later on they separated and formed their own own company. But it, it, you know, I was uh, inducted with Steve Reed, the guy that the played the original Hercules. Uh, Lou Ferrigno got inducted with the damn uh, the time I did. Uh, Sergio Olivia, that's the guy that Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, defeated for the uh, title. And then I got to meet a, a lot of great people uh, in my life. Our current president, uh, Donald Trump, I met him on on several occasions. So, so you know, I, I I'm, I'm very blessed, very blessed. And when you look back at your career and you kind of just sum it up, what's the stamp? What's the legacy that you left on you know, on the wrestling business? Well, uh, number one is that I I think Rocket, not just me, but uh, people such as Rocket Johnson, superstar Billy Graham, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Jim the late great uh, Jimmy Superfly Slucker. Uh, we brought fitness uh, in into the ring. If you look back, there were very few uh, guys back in them days that had what you call, you know, a bodybuilder's look. Now, if you look at uh, uh, WWE, everybody got the bodybuilder look. So I feel that Rocket Johnson, Superstar Billy Graham, Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, Jimmy Slucker, people of that caliber during that time, we kind of set the trend for what they uh, uh, is doing now. You got to realize, me and Rocket, when you look at these old tapes, we the only guys, we were the only bodybuilders in the ring. Yeah, we were the only guys that lift weights back in them days. Now if you look at the TV, everybody looked like Rocket and myself. So we kind of set the trend. We were the first. Uh, we the pioneers of our uh, Bodybuilding and wrestling caban. Thank you, Mr. Atlas. Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening to the two man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.